Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Wary Podcast. Today we've got a really special episode for you all. We've got a super special guest here today by the name of Marley Liss. Welcome, Marley. We're so glad to have you here. Yay, thank you so much for having me and for creating this amazing movement. And Marley's story is pretty epic to say the least. Uh, but for a lot of the listeners, there's going to be some tough topics brought up. Involving sexual violence, it's, it can be really difficult for victims to hear about other people's stories. However, it can also be very beneficial. And a story like Marley's is one that has a happy ending and brings a lot of hope. So it can be very helpful to listen to, uh, but we support anybody in their healing process. And we want our listeners to know that if you're not ready to hear it, that's okay. But when you are ready, this episode is here for you to listen to. And we are so excited to share with you our interview with Marley Lewis. We are. We are. We are. We are. Rising Youth. What if society had the resources? A community. A group of like-minded people. A virtual safe space to change the narrative. And still hope. To offer a voice to the unheard. tell us a little bit about uh, your background and what journey you went through to get here today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, big question for sure. And I love that you prefaced it with that because it is, it's so true. Like there would have been a time where I would have not wanted to hear what my story is now. And then obviously that changed. Um, so everyone on their own timing for sure. Um, my background, so I, I have like my story and then I have my resume background, you know, so my resume background is more like I studied social work in college since, since then and since my experience with sexual violence, which I'll talk about, um, I studied somatic healing, um, somatic sex education, um, trauma-informed yoga, I've had the privilege of learning from indigenous elders, um, so, so, so many different things. So my journey, what kind of brought me here to this place is back in 2016, I experienced sexual assault from a stranger and it really, really sent me into a deep, deep depression, struggled with PTSD, panic attacks, so many different things and just felt so completely disconnected from my body, uh, my happiness, my sense of safety, my sexuality, Um, my spirituality as well, like so many different things. And I started walking the 
punitive path because it's really all I knew. Like I literally experienced rape, got back to my place to simplify it. That's like, you know, putting it in a, in a few minutes. Um, went, went back to my place and my friend and I Googled, like, what do we do? Like, what do you do when your friend is raped? Because we, we don't know. And so it says, go to the hospital, get a rape kit and then report. And so we kind of just went through those motions and had no idea any alternative existed. Of course, um, now I'm a huge advocate for restorative justice and I was so privileged to have experienced that, but I had no idea it existed up until like two years ago. So um, yeah, I went to the hospital, did the rape kit and then was basically asked, would you like to report? And since I didn't want nothing, I was like, okay, I guess so. So I reported and started going through the punitive system, which was, I think, as we all know, like a really awful process, a really re-traumatizing process. Um, went to a preliminary trial to see if there was enough evidence, like sat on the stand for five hours, really set me back mental health wise, because I had been so focused on my healing. And and this is all, again, I'm like, this is a whole big journey summarized in a few minutes, like a whole big journey. Um, but by the time I was subpoenaed for the criminal trial, it had been three years since the actual rape. And in that time, I had done so much healing that was like essential to my survival. And I had learned so much about rape culture, um, feminism, the justice system, all these things. And when I got that subpoena, I was like, I think I'm going to drop the charges because it just felt A, too painful and B, almost pointless. I was like, best case scenario, he gets incarcerated and, and what? And like, never takes accountability, sits in a space of shame, isolation, maybe comes out and does this again. Like what's what, where is the cycle ending? Um, so I was going to drop the charges. And, and luckily, I said to one amazing friend, um, if it was my world, I would actually want to see him get help. Like I would want him to be resourced in, in unlearning all the crap that got him to that point of perpetrating. Um, in my world, he would change. We would like sit down together because this was a stranger to me. But I was like, we'd sit down together. I'd get to ask the questions I'd been holding for years of like, why did this happen? Um, I would get to share about how I was impacted. We'd get to humanize each other, maybe even cry together. And all these things just felt really delusional for me because it's so different than what we're shown and in, in the criminal justice system. And, um, and my friend said to me like, so make it happen. And just her saying that really lit a fire for me because I'd never, I had deemed my, my wants delusional. I really like invalidated them. And when she said that, I was like, oh, I, I could actually try to ask for that. And so that's when I started researching. And that's when I learned that basically what I was wanting had a name and had roots, which is restorative justice, which is rooted in indigenous Jewish Mennonite cultures and basically prioritizes repair over punishment. So um, from that point, I've, I fought for restorative justice and my case became the first in North America through the courts to conclude with that, which means instead of proceeding to criminal trial, my assailant went to therapy 
for like seven months. And then we eventually met in an eight hour circle. You mentioned um, humanizing your assaulter. What is the significance of humanizing your assaulter and him also humanizing you? Um, just what is, I guess, it seems to someone who may have been recently sexually assaulted, it seems like, I don't wanna do that. Why should I humanize that person? So what would you say is the significance of humanizing them? Yeah, so definitely like we were saying before, like healing happens in our own timing. And I think there is a cycle and season for everything. And like, it's not, none of this is um, mandatory. None of this is for everyone. Right. But it is it is for a lot of us. A lot of us hear this. Like I've heard from hundreds of survivors since I shared my story with the media who are like, wow, I wish I could have this. Um, So that does exist. And um, yeah. And also some of us feel like there's something wrong with us for having those wants, for having some sense of empathy or or confusion or even um, having a want to humanize that person like a lot of us think there's something wrong with us for not just wanting the criminal justice outcome um so humanizing to me for one thing it's like it's like breaking the cycle because for me what hurt me most was being so dehumanized and it got me to a point like in the year after rape, I, I wanted to take my life because I didn't want to live in a, a world where we're treating each other like this. And so to me, it was like dehumanization hurt me so deeply and made me not want to exist in a world that does that to one another. And so my like logic, I guess you could say, my very emotional logic was you know, if I'm going to stay here on the world, I want to help create a world where we're not treating each other like that, where we're breaking and ending those cycles and doing something different. And so for me, that was part of that decision was like, I don't want to dehumanize this person. I want to be able to acknowledge like, they have a story, they were raised in rape culture, who knows what traumas they've been through. Um, all these things. And that's not justifying sexual violence at all. It's just bringing in that lens of, of humanizing. And so that there was that piece. Um, I had a need to feel deeply humanized by this person. I had a need for them because in that circle, like my mom was in that circle too. And the fact that he got to see how this affected my mom, like that was really, I'm like, wow, it's, it's so, um, deeply rooted in reclamation. And, and then for me, I actually had a need to humanize him for my own sense of safety, because I really had made him to be like this big, scary monster would like haunt my dreams, pop up in flashbacks, all these things. And to sit down with him and be like, oh, this is just a guy, like to just to humanize him actually made me feel much more safe and much less powerless. I think that's amazing, you know, because for for me, for my abuse, I I never got the chance to sit with him, but a chance for me to like get over it or like heal myself better was kind of like forgiving him, like accepting that uh, he had hurt me, but he's also human. He probably like has gone through bad stuff too. Like, I don't know what he's been through. So 
and it was hard. Like it was hard to come into that acceptance, but the, the weight it takes off your shoulders after you have forgiven him and you realize he's also human. It's, it's wonderful. Like I really agree with everything you're saying. And it's amazing that you were able to do that and that I was able to do that because some people aren't, and it's fine if they aren't, you know, it's fine if you aren't able to make that forgiving because it's hard, like, but it's, it, it helped at least at me and for you, it helped you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. And I do wish that anyone who wanted this could, could access it easily like that is my wish that's like something like like you said you all said at the beginning like you're doing what you can and I feel the same in the world it's like I want this to be accessible for anyone who wants it and I just think that's so powerful because it is I think with our healing like we have to do what's best for each of us and if forgiveness makes us feel lighter and makes us feel like we can move through the world feeling more free more safe then then that's what we deserve to do completely agree and so you say you wish it was more easily accessible to people and with that can you kind of go into the full process of restorative justice and why it might be not the best decision for someone else because I think a lot of times even with your story with me coming across you and talking to other people about it people's minds instantly goes to this thing of like, it's kind of you setting it up. But as you talked about with prosecutors, and there are actually people, other legal factors involved. Mm. Stuff, and I think people kind of just think like, oh, I have to reach out to this person, and they think it's them doing it. Um, can you kind of explain that a little further, please? Yeah, for sure. So there's kind of, um, I guess, two routes to go about it like my story was pretty unique because I was already going down the punitive path like I was already three years into the punitive path and then I kind of came in with a curveball and was like hey prosecutors this isn't what I want anymore I want to do this and they were like oh um and some of them were like no <laughs> that's not going to happen and then thank thank god like another um crown attorney prosecutor there actually was kind of on the same wavelength as me and was like right what we're doing isn't working rates of sexual assault are not declining acquittals are so common most people don't even get to court most people don't report because they don't feel safe in the system um and and even when incarceration does happen like I was saying before rates of recidivism of reoffending are so high so she basically became a main advocate for, for my want for restorative justice. And it, it wouldn't have happened without her. So that, that is kind of how my case went. But there is actual restorative justice agencies that exist that people can go to with things like this. And... Unfortunately, it's not regulated enough for me to say step to get restorative justice. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three. Like I wish it was like that, but it's not yet. Um, but there are these restorative justice agencies, and pretty much if anyone Google's restorative justice agency plus their town, their city, things will come up. If not close by in the nearest city to you, things will come up. 
So my recommendation is, is contact those people and say, how can you help me get restorative justice? Um, but I think what you're saying is really important because I'm not the one who organized the circle. I'm not the one who mediated and facilitated the circle. I think because I also lead retreats and things like that. Sometimes people think, oh, she facilitated a circle for her and her rapist. And like, no, I didn't. <laughs> I did not do that. I could not have done that, nor would I have wanted to do that. Um, so that is a really important point that there are these structures in place. So basically, because um, we were already going through the courts, um, that prosecutor and a lawyer that I found were able to contact one of those restorative justice agencies and say, can you facilitate this process for us? And that's what these agencies do. They have trained mediators, they create safe spaces um, where they really safeguard triggers. Like we all, everyone in that circle met with them um, before the circle happened. And they basically said, how can we make this feel as safe as possible? And that to me, it's so caring. Again, it's such a contrast to the punitive system that is just throwing like grenades at the, the victim without any care. And this is like, you're a human who was hurt. This is gonna be really hard, but hopefully ultimately healing. How can we make it feel really safe for you? One more thing I wanna say too is restorative justice can look many, many, many different ways. It doesn't have to look like my case looked. It's about, it's simply about, or not so simply about, prioritizing repair over punishment. So instead of focusing on how can we suitably punish the perpetrator, it's like, how can we repair the harm that was caused? So that's what the focus is. And that can mean what it was for me, therapy and an in-person circle. It can mean that person has to do volunteer work for a year and then you exchange letters it can mean you do a stand-in process. So if that person is not willing to take accountability or they're not available, or you feel really unsafe um, interacting with them, you can actually bring in a stand-in person. There are like ex-sex offenders who, who do these stand-in processes where they basically act as that person and you get to say what you would need to say to that person. So there's so many different ways to approach restorative justice in a way that feels more healing than it does re-traumatizing. I think that's amazing because, you know, they bring you this like safe space and like, it's really hard because like, you don't see that a lot. And like you said, like they just keep throwing grenades, grenades of you of like emotions and like they change like, well, what you went through was really healing for you and for your offender. And I think it's cool that they also have like different approaches through it because may, some people might not be ready to see him through face, but we'd seen like with someone that you can talk to you and tell him how you felt. And even though like he was an ex-offender, but at, at least you're having something and it's a safe environment, you know, it's a safe environment and a healing environment. It's not something that's gonna hurt you. And that's just amazing for me. Like I. I'm happy to hear about this because I hadn't heard it before. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is why I'm like, it's so important for people to at least know, because you're right, it's not for everyone. Um, but I do think all of us, all survivors have a right to at least know our options and to be able to make like an informed decision. Because when I reported, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. 
And then three years, like two years later, I'm on the stand and they're like, well, you consented to this when you reported. And I'm like, okay, like how ironic that the punitive justice system is so non-consensual when we're trying to address, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've raised like a really important conversation about healing and the true strength you can find in healing um, and just like all the alternative routes to it. And I know that earlier, like you had talked about your practice of somatic healing. And then on your website, I know you have your free body love seminar, kind of about self-love and also in this world of social media. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's really fun to do a group interview, by the way. It's usually like me and one person. Like, this is so nice. It's a whole community. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically after I shared my story with the media, and it was pretty intense, like it came out on six platforms on the same day, because there was a publication ban, and then it was lifted. So then it came out like HuffPost, BuzzFeed, Forbes, all these big platforms, and all of a sudden, the world knew my story, which I chose, like I chose that, but also intense. Um, and so after that, I started just getting so many emails, DMs from all kinds of people and especially from survivors or people who had been impacted from sexual violence. And the more that happened, the more I just felt like as you're all doing, like you just care so much, like in such a deep, deep, deep way. You're like, I care so much, I have to do something about it. And so that's kind of when I decided to um, become a coach and I have my background, social work, somatic healing. Like I have all these modalities to offer to people. And, um, from about three months after sharing, I started my, my coaching, which basically means that I work with women all over the world who are reclaiming sensual empowerment, self-love, love for our bodies, um, our right to feel safe in our bodies, our right to feel safe and in intimacy, um, reclaiming voice, all of these things. So really helping women shed shame, heal from trauma and come back to our power. And I love this work so much, like every single day, I feel so grateful to do this. And I'm also doing it in my way, because like, so much respect for all the people who are in the world of social work. And for me, it's, it's a recipe for burnout, because it just, is not how I'm meant to offer these things. So it's been so beautiful to, to create this and to form community. Like I've worked with women in, in Finland and New Zealand and Colombia, like all over the world. And it's so, so, so beautiful. And I all the time just see the power of, of our healing. And the most beautiful thing about it to me too, is I'm almost always finding that once we go through this whole process of reclamation, coming back to ourselves, finding our voice again, almost everyone I work with ends up in a place of, I want to pass this on now. Like I want to make impact now. I want to write a play. I want to form a, someone just created, one of my past clients just created, um, uh, it's like a dating app that includes all this information on consent. And it's, specifically for Greek life on college campuses. And I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, this that's is so cool. Exactly that's so it. cool. Because like the Greek environment is kind of like really toxic, but that are one of your clients made an app just for that. 
that's amazing and like consent is so like sometimes we don't talk about it but it's so cool that like she made that congrats yeah. for having a client like that yeah it's it's incredible and I'm just I've been really I feel very blessed to have been able to work with so many people like this and to connect with all these people including you like people who are really doing amazing things in the world um, and have taken what we've been through and and turned it into passion or purpose or whatever it's so amazing so the the body love thing that you mentioned I actually also worked at the National Eating Disorder Information Center for a while and would deliver presentations on body image protecting our self-esteem especially in the world of media to educators and youth so then I just um created this like amazing free training on this that absolutely anyone can access like um maybe I can give you the link and you can put it in the show notes but if people find me on Instagram Marley Liss M-A-R-L-E-E-L-I-S-S and click the link in my bio they'll be able to to access that yeah thank you so much for that and for that incredible resource because I know earlier you talked about breaking like that cycle of humanization and what's so empowering to me I feel like now you're part of this cycle of healing like you yourself have healed and you're bringing that to so many other people in so many ways so just thank you so much because that's really Uh, thank you of course and I think also with your body love seminar and the healing you've talked about I think not often enough the correlation and the link between one's physical health and one's mental health and just the mind-body connection aren't talked about. And specifically, they're not talked about enough, I feel, in women and other non-binary folk. And I was just wondering, in this conversation, when we think about other factors, such as like one's menstrual cycle and other physiological factors within us that contribute, and like trauma to our own Mm -hmm. mental health, I was just wondering, because I know you have for specifically body image and eating disorders, like within this sphere of navigating like one's mental health, which is already so complex specifically for women and non-binary folk, if you have any suggestions of resources or routes to take in kind of this journey that unfortunately Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And that's kind of why at the beginning, like I named all these things of like through trauma, I felt disconnected from my body, my sexuality, my spirituality. Like, I think, I think a lot of people who maybe haven't been through the experience don't think about that. It's just, we don't think about it and it's not talked about enough. I remember trying to Google like disordered eating after sexual trauma and there's just not much out there and even I'm so glad you brought up menstrual cycles because what happens is these things get deemed taboo even sexual violence is deemed taboo even sexual orientation is deemed taboo and so because there's that taboo thing there's the censorship around it and then we can't get the information that we need um for me like I lost I lost my period after trauma I stopped bleeding I was losing my hair for a while um I'll also share like I started realizing I was attracted to women right after sexual trauma and that felt like so much at once to deal with and I was like oh my god I don't know how to deal with all of that at once like really started struggling with disordered eating I would say I was using food as self-harm at that time and all of these things were also just more and more and more isolating and 
I think it's so important for us to like access healing on so many levels. I think therapy is amazing because we really dive into so much stuff that's going on in our mind. And I also think it's so important that we pair that or also do healing that brings in our body. It's like, how is our body affected? How, how are we holding our trauma in our bodies in terms of tension and all of these things? Um, Cause it is so connected. So this is why I really love the somatic healing work. When I started doing this, because my background was in social work, which felt uh, uh, like really important and a lot in the head. And then I dove into the world of yoga and it's like, wow, so much healing in the body. And then I feel somatic healing brings it all together. It kind of looks at the relational influence of how is our culture affecting our bodies? Like how is, how is rape culture living in our cells? Like changing our posture, changing the way we breathe, changing where we hold tension, and then vice versa. How is our own healing in our own bodies also shaping our, our culture? How is our own internal healing like rippling out into our, our society? So acknowledging both of those things is so beautiful. So definitely recommend people look into somatic healing. Please feel free to get in touch with me to dive into the resources um, that I've shared the body love workshop because it is it's basically all the tools that were at first life-saving and then super empowering and, and healing for me. So you talk about the trauma with your body and all of that. And I know a big thing you talk about sexuality. And in terms of all of that, what would you say about having sex after being sexually assaulted? Like to just get straight to the point, I think a big thing for a lot of people who are sexually assaulted is how do you feel comfortable having sex after being mm -hmm. sexually assaulted? Great question. I love that we're getting into this because again, it's like so many people are scared, are nervous to talk about this stuff and it's so important. Um, and then we, and then people don't get the information they need. So first of all, I want to validate that there's a million ways people can feel towards sex after trauma. It's really common for people to hypersexualize themselves after trauma. It's really common for people to shut down and not want to be touched at all. Like there's so many different ways we can feel. All of it is valid. The, the biggest thing that I teach is us being in tune with what feels safe in our bodies and being really committed to our own boundaries and desires and to actually learning how to recognize a boundary in our body and then how to trust and value that boundary enough to speak it. Right. So that is the biggest thing to me. And then also making sure that that we're with someone that feels safe for us. Right. It's like really just like making it about our internal reality. So, of course, like sex is a very connective thing. Obviously, there's another person or people involved and there's it's so loving for us to learn how to actually recognize value communicate our boundaries know what what our threshold is in terms of our comfort zone like know how to regulate our our emotions and our nervous system when a trigger does happen have tools in place to say okay i'm feeling triggered right now this is what i need i think that's the biggest thing learning how to value identify and advocate for our needs speak our needs exactly like communication is 
the biggest thing because I think so many of us will freeze up and not know how to how to communicate something we're feeling so big in our body in that moment and when we actually have a clear process clear tools this is how I'm going to regulate myself right now this is what I'm going to do this is what I'm going to ask for then we start to feel more safe in that context but I think definitely don't like like honor your pace with your healing don't try to pressure yourself into anything like everyone like we've been saying everyone has their own unique healing path yeah I I agree with that but communication is so important in any relationship in any relationship you have but after you have been sexual assaulted and you find a partner communication is key because you know you're of course you're gonna hit like some like rough pass or some like ptsd while you're in the action and you don't know how to communicate that but if you have a good communication with your partner you know it takes two to tango so like communication is always important and i think that's really good And something I'll add too is I think a lot of us believe that our sexuality only exists when we're with someone else, when we're with a partner, but it's like we have a sexuality, whatever it might be, in any given moment um, between ourselves and ourselves. So for like my path, I really had to relearn and restructure my relationship to my sexuality in my own body like my own sense of empowerment, my own understanding of what sexuality is because it had become this big, scary thing. So I needed to like heal that, learn about it, learn why I thought that way. And then by doing that, I feel like I developed a new standard of what sexuality and what intimacy should be like for me. And by the time I was with other people, I was like, this is going to be a healing experience or it's not happening that was kind of where it got to and so every sexual interaction whatever I had after that was like this is for my healing this is from this is my reclamation this is me realizing my voice is for you not for the other person yeah yeah no that's that that's that's amazing you're right I, I forgot that point you first you need to you know love yourself and like start like how are you gonna heal and how you feel about it before like communicating with the other person but you're right like first it takes like you and like start learning yourself like how you want it and all those important factors instead of jumping into like the other partner first like you need to learn yourself and like learn your body Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that goes just from what I've been hearing you talk about uh I think that goes hand in hand with humanization like humanizing yourself I know we talked about it earlier but I think like feeling comfortable with your boundaries with sex and all that, that comes with humanizing yourself too and realizing that you're not just a thing. You're not just an object that someone used you. You're, you're a human and you're allowed to make these decisions for yourself and you don't want society dictating what you should be doing in terms of sex. Um, so I think, that, yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's so important to acknowledge too, whether we've experienced sexual trauma or not, our culture is so distorted around sexuality like exactly like you're saying objectification is everywhere so many people are getting their sex education from porn which can be really violent non-consensual super objectifying um, often very degrading and so there's such a lack of of healthy connection to our sexuality there's so much confusion and like like energy around this word and this whole concept and theme so it's exactly that it's like 
I think for me, when I dove so deep into healing my relationship to my sexuality, I realized I wasn't just healing from this one trauma, I was healing from a lifetime of internalizing objectification, messaging, rape culture, all these things. And so it almost felt like a like an awakening for me of like, wow, this whole time I've been treating my body like an object. I've been neglecting my own boundaries and um, and other people have been neglecting my boundaries. And so it was this reclamation of I'm not an object. I'm an empowered human worthy of love, respect, care, pleasure, all these things. As we start to wrap up, I just want to ask you a little bit about other projects you got going on. I hear you're writing a book. Mm -hmm. I want to know about how that publishing process is going. Yeah, super early stages, but um, yeah, just so much has unfolded since I've shared this. And, um, and I keep doing like deep inner empowerment work to be like, I'm going to keep being loud about it. Cause it does, again, that's like that unlearning of like, okay, I'm going to take up space and grab a mic and be loud about this thing that happened, but it's, it's been um, definitely liberating in a lot of ways. So I've done a lot of public speaking, continue to do a lot of public speaking interviews like this. I really love sharing this. If people go to my, again, like my Instagram or just marleylist.com, you can see um, my public speaking is there. All of my coaching work and programs are there. So right now I'm in the process of uh, enrolling women in a four month program. This is like my signature deep dive four month program called the Sensual Wholeness Academy, where we literally do all of this unlearning around the crap that patriarchal culture has taught us. We like learn so much about that and then start focusing on embodying something different, creating a new norm in our nervous systems, valuing our boundaries, desires, deepening understanding of consent culture, all of these things. Um, and it's amazing. So people can lean into my body love masterclass. They can even book for that academy. They can book at any time a free one-to-one -one call with my team. And it's like, there's no commitment in that. It's totally free. You'll receive support around self-love, sensual reclamation, and then you'll explore if my program can be a fit for you. Um, everyone on my team is amazing, heart-led, trauma-trained, all these things. And um, that's kind of what I have going on. I'm writing my book, like you said. Um, I, who knows where this will go, but I signed a contract for my story to be made into a scripted Hollywood series. So who knows what oh. will happen with that? <laughs> that's so <laughs> that cool. Sounds, sounds interesting, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super interesting. Uh, I had a question. So I know it's more about females, but can males also join your program? Is it like open for everyone in the public because you know it's also taboo to talk about like the male perspective of like sexual abuse and stuff and that's something that we as wary like we're focused on too because it's usually just um, like a female conversation and we don't really see that much of like a male uh, resources and that's something we want to bring up but I was wondering if like for what you do can males join yeah so it's really important what you're saying at the moment, I work specifically with women, but I already feel this shifting and it's only been a year since I started offering this. So the first year I was like, this is what 
I'm really passionate about right now and I want to also draw from my largely from my lived experience so that was like what I was focusing on yeah um but you're so right and I actually had um I'm not like formally offering this yet but I I did a session like a week ago with um and it's not exactly what you're saying but it was really beautiful it was with a man whose partner had been through a lot of sexual trauma and he wanted to show up as a safe space, support and ally for her. And so we did all this work around talking about that, learning about rape culture, all these things. But you're so right. It's super, super, super important. I feel like um, I I have received messages, stories, connections from every type of human since sharing this. And it's really shown me like everyone's affected by this in different ways. So maybe one day asking a year from now we'll see what what exists yeah no thank you thank you i mean you just started like a one year ago we as why are you starting february so we're also pretty beginners we're new to everything but we love what you're doing and we're so thankful for all the resources you bring into like your community and everyone surrounding you like and it's so cool that you're like worldwide like you've connected with people from all around the world and like that's something we want to do too. It's like they don't they don't really talk about this in like other countries. And it's cool that people can come from other places and join you. The world has become a little more universal in that way. And I've I've heard I've had women, I did a live like a few weeks ago on Instagram, and there was a woman from Turkey who was commenting, she's like, wow, we never get to talk about this here. Like, I'm so glad we're connected on Instagram. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like the where we're at in terms of sexual liberation reclamation is so many different places all over the world and the universal nature of the internet and whatnot gives yeah. us access to different things yeah before before we log off here we just want to ask if you could just give like one piece of advice to someone who's recently been sexually assaulted uh, what what would you tell them the biggest thing is however the heck you're feeling is valid I think that's so many of us struggle with that piece the most we're like I shouldn't be this sad or I shouldn't be this okay or I shouldn't feel um whatever I I shouldn't feel so angry like all these judgments towards ourselves. and I think that anyone who's been through trauma is so worthy of so much compassion for what you've been through. And if you can give yourself that compassion instead of that judgment, that already is so healing. And one more thing I'll say is for me, like solidarity community has been so healing and important in my life. So if you can lean into resources like support groups, find other survivors, again, a beautiful thing about the internet, like, google find facebook groups search what's going on in your area um like i have all these groups you can check out like there's so many different things like this that will help connect you to community and just to know you're not alone and what you're feeling can be so validating and healing all right well i think that's just about all that we have for you today just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen And I want to thank our guest, Marley Liss, once again, for joining us. 
please go check out her website and her Instagram page. It's MarleyList.com and it's at MarleyList on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thank you all of you for the work you do and for being here. It's so good to connect with you. I also say, and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, I always remind people like I'm a human, message me, say hi, tell me what you liked about this, tell me what questions you have, like I'm here for, for all of that. So thank you so, so, so much. And as always on our website, you can reach out to Wary at any time under the connect with us tab. Please share any comments or feedback that you have, or if you'd like to share your story, we would love to help you. Please do that. Connect with us. Again, that's at warymovement.com. And this has been the Wary podcast. Thank you again and have a great day.